Hello, friends. I am here today. This is Margaret Katzkan, one of the two intrepid warriors, along with David Landuli, my friend and partner at Fundraising Leadership. Good morning, David. Good morning, Margaret. We're here with another mini podcast for all of you. Yeah, with another totally epic topic. Today, we're going to talk about failing. Failure. Failure. (laughs) (laughs) You know, everyone talks a good game about failure, and everyone kind of knows. I I do think this is kind of um, very hypothetical for a certain type of person, which we're going to talk about today. And it's very, uh, like, they kind of... uh, think they know what it's all about but uh we're gonna we're gonna talk about what it's really like to fail and and how some of you out there in the audience may not be uh actually failing (laughs) or you may right there's an invitation to maybe cultivate a different relationship with failure but i want to start by giving kudos to david because this conversation started after david competed in the world jiu-jitsu championships in las vegas and Mm -hmm. david tell us tell us the story okay i'll I'll do it by a a little chant i'm number three i'm number three (laughs) i'm number three in the whole world in the whole world in my division it's true so how many of you out there especially uh those of you who lead fundraising teams or you're an executive director of a of a nonprofit where you work with the board and would chant that your success on not achieving your goal. (laughs) We should say David's goal was in fact to win, not to get number three. It was to win. And yet he's really celebrating. And so that seemed worth that seemed worth kind of double clicking on. Why? Why are you so dang happy? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a bit more, the, the emotions around it um, were certainly a bit more complex um, on last Friday when I competed. Um, we're sitting here in uh, uh, December of 2023. Um, certainly there was some disappointment, first of all because I had set I was aiming to win. Yeah. You know, I've been I've been in a few jujitsu competitions over the past few years and I've stood on the podium I, uh, in the number one spot a couple times, but not all that frequently actually. Um but I felt like I was very well prepared. I had trained hard. I was relatively injury free, which was another goal I had set for myself was going into the competition was, you know, to not, I fought in competitions where I've been injured. It's, it's not a pleasant experience. So I was feeling good going in and I actually do feel better coming out the other end. (laughs) Surprisingly. And this is the counterintuitive thing right that we want to talk about yeah yeah so um we were talking about what what makes it possible to feel satisfied 
even when you don't get your goal, which of course right. is also known as failing, right? Oh. And um, we were talking about this uh, saboteur of the hyperachiever, which is rampant with so many of the people that we work with, right? In the nonprofit space, so many leaders, and they they love and cherish this saboteur because they to they totally believe that it is um, responsible in many cases for their success. What and makes it a saboteur? Some, though? Yeah, yeah, it's right. It's not that simple. Right, it's not that simple. Right, so um, it's not that simple, right? Because the achieving aspect is healthy. We might call it healthy striving would be another way psychologists talk about this. Healthy yeah. striving. Um, it's the hyper achieving aspect, like, like having to be number one or yeah, yeah that can be uh, sabotaging to, to, to yourself and to your team. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think the the place that the saboteur really comes in, and we're going to get to a more subtle distinction in a minute, but it's that it's very hard when we have a super active hyperachiever and we don't meet a goal, we don't love ourselves very much. Like there's a very conditional right. thing that happens. We have a lot of trouble finding forgiveness for ourselves. So that's where this hyperachiever can really turn into a saboteur where it's very unhealthy for us. I like I like what you brought up, Margaret. And what I like about it is that <clears throat> the hyperachiever will uh, collude with the inner critic when you don't achieve what you aim for. And then the inner critic will come in and say, say, you know, say, see, see you can't do it. And then what that leads to is the um, even more subtle behavior, which is not setting high goals for yourself. Yeah. Because why would I want to set a goal if I didn't think I could make it? If yeah. I expect the chain of, you know, of just explosion, oh, I don't make it. I feel disappointment. My hyperachiever kicks in. I beat the crap out of myself and I end up feeling very unlovable at the end. So this is what right. hyperachievers make sure to try to avoid at all costs. Yeah, it's true. Goals and that also, they're not really likely to meet. Also, we want to avoid. Look, I have part of this too. You want to avoid. You want to look good and avoid looking bad. This is another aspect of the judge. You want. Right. We all want to look good, and avoid looking bad. And when you lose, I can tell you firsthand, because I've lost on the world stage several times. When you lose in front of your friends, in front of your family, in front of the people you train with, you don't look very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I Today is like the Monday after. I got to go and face my teammates after having lost. You know, this is not easy, by the way. Like, if you don't hit your goal in a fundraising campaign you have to go face your board yeah mm -hmm. yeah but you were writing this morning david about what might be the upside of setting a really audacious big goal about busting out of the hyperachiever pattern and actually setting something that you may or may not achieve well that's where all the 
that's where all the goodies lie, isn't it? Right. This is where your your growth lies. Like I um look, I there's lots of people I train with and know who never go to tournaments and compete because they don't want to experience the um uh the the feelings. The, they're gonna be there. Like if yeah. if you set like I set for myself this very high mark. I had never competed in this particular style of jujitsu before. I went to the world's largest and most competitive tournament uh, in this style, which is without the gi. We call it no gi. It's it's more of grappling. And you're going to fight against the best. So I had set the bar super high. I only competed once this year, which is, again, uh, most mortals would not just register themselves into the most competitive jiu-jitsu tournament in the world after only having competed once over a period of 12 months. But I did it anyway. And what I came and I fought really well. I right. did. But it wasn't I mean, a sure thing is what you're saying. My God. Yeah. <laughs> there was no guarantee of success. In fact, the odds were stacked against me. Yeah. And most people would look at that situation as like, oh, why would I ever like register myself into something where I know that the odds are that I'm going to lose? Most people don't. But yeah. we're not most people, are we, Margaret? No, nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are not. Yeah, there's... We work with leaders who are not most people, all of you out there in the audience, right? right. But so we just yeah. want to point out where you might be limiting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. There's something that you mentioned, David, that I wanted to kind of go back and double click on. And it's this emotion of disappointment. It's I'm learning both in my own personal growth journey and with other people that I work with, you know, we, we talk a lot about grief being hard to feel right. And um, there's a list of, of, emotions that are pretty uncomfortable to sit with and to weather. And sometimes people will go to great lengths to avoid those emotions. But I haven't heard a lot of talk, although I'm ready for myself to put disappointment on the list of, you know, it is in my top probably three to five feelings that are so hard for me to sit with disappointment. Like it is big and heavy and sticky and so I think that's another, it's just another angle to this. Yeah, I, I like that, Margaret. It, it is, look, um, we're human beings. We have all these complicated emotions. Uh, disappointment is one of them. Um, if you never, if you never go for something, then you can protect yourself from being disappointed. Yeah. You I know. think, you know, we I'm not sure we're doing a lot of talking about this in our culture and, and our kids between David and me are older at this point, but, you know, as parents, what, what wouldn't we do to avoid our kids feeling disappointed often, right? Oh, well, it's very motivated by trying to shield others from disappointment, but I'm not sure too many of us look at the ways that we sell ourselves short or pick achievable goals in part because the idea of being disappointed is like, whew, no, thank you. No, right. thank you. Well, you're bringing up something that uh, brought up something that, that uh, catalyzed the thought around our um, 
educational industrial complex. So it turns out, I just as you were saying this, it that system rewards and actually I think bakes in hyperachieving. When I look at my own children, when I look at my own experience, right? So there's this gotta achieve, gotta achieve, gotta achieve, gotta make my A, gotta make my A, gotta make my A, right? And when that doesn't happen, depends on the kind of parent you are, but I can assure you that the educational industrial complex penalizes you for that and does not celebrate you for that. Yeah, right. We Our whole childhoods between parenting and schools and all of those things, we, we don't do a great job learning how to weather disappointment and failure and learning from now, it or finding gifts in it. There's another trite phrase that gets thrown around but I called, you know, my kids actually taught this to me and I, I thought it was super helpful when they were young. They learned this thing, do your best and forget the rest. Mm. You know, gotta love the rhymes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm thankful that 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 was actually my kids teaching me this. And I do think they live it. Um you know, I can see where they've had failures and that, yes, they have experience. As any parent, I'll speak for myself as a parent, I I like to protect my children from feeling, you know, these afflictive or um, negative emotions. And then also there's a part of me that realizes that, boy, it's best that they learn these lessons early in life and learn how yeah. to, and both of them have been through the positive intelligence program. So we should talk a little bit about that. And your, <laughs> at least one of your sons has been through it with one awesome. of my daughters. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think, so yes, th thinking about that hyperachiever as a, as a saboteur with a character and some characteristics helps us mm -hmm. notice it. And again, we're not talking about throwing away the desire to achieve or wanting goals or setting big goals for ourselves. We're talking about when things swerve into this territory right. of the hyperachiever, which is trickier and less healthy. It's tricky. It's tricky because, you know, Shirzad, uh, who is the creator of this um, uh, coaching methodology that we uh, work with clients on uh, called positive intelligence, um, will say about the hyperachiever that um, they'll play small just to avoid all those icky feelings of of disappointment and everything that we've talked about, you know, wanting to look good, avoid looking bad, uh, uh, having to face your friends, your family, you know, I mean, this is, so people will play small in life and never, you know, really achieve victory. There's this kind of sage power here, Margaret, that uh, maybe we can co-create it in this moment. Like there's something about being satisfied with your performance. Like there's yeah. a satisfaction or contentment that I don't think he really talks about in the program. You know? No, I feel like contentment, your capacity for contentment is a giant sage power. I mean, right down to like actually tasting what you're eating and enjoying, right? Like, like that yeah. power to savor and just be with what is and where you where you have found yourself where you find yourself at the end of the day contentment right see that's also um you might think like oh if i'm ever content in life i'll never achieve anything 
No, this right. is that is a lie. Yeah. That is a lie. Yeah, and I think there are many, many people who, if they're being really honest, are not setting big goals, are not playing big because the risk of failure feels crippling to them. And that's the hyperachiever. That's that. I sabotage. have never read in the Chronicle of Philanthropy or any other uh, online forum of any nonprofit ever not achieving its fundraising goal. This is right. actually We're impossible. This is actually <laughs> just not reality. So audacious, so big, so high that, right? Like that we right. want to applaud them for, for their big thinking, not what actually happened in terms of the dollars. Yeah. I just don't see it. So yeah. in some senses, maybe uh, what we're saying here, Margaret, is that you guys are not really setting high enough goals because you have not failed. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're not celebrating your failure. If of you're course, failing, you're doing it quietly and secretly in the dark of shame rather than. Yeah. I don't see any like I don't, in AFP's uh, uh, publication. I never see any articles about how the uh, uh, the board and the leadership and the fundraising team uh, celebrates their failure to hit, hit their campaign goal. I never see it. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> But David's David's gonna wear his medal of of success slash not quite success of what you were looking for of contentment your medal of contentment. Yeah, I mean, I will say that I um there's always learnings too. We talk about harvesting the learnings in failure, and you know when you look in your rearview mirror of what happened uh and i i looked in my rearview mirror uh to my second fight where i lost to the reigning world champion and i was like oh i could have done something differently and maybe i will the next time not there was no guarantee that that would have caused me to win but i looked at the fight and i, I boy you want to do something hard? Go take a look at the fights you lose or go, go, go. You know, if you had a replay of the campaign that you did where you failed to reach your objective and play back all your mistakes, it's it's a test of character to be able to do that. And I do that because then I look and I see it and I'm like, oh, this is something I could change. And this is an area of growth for me. There's a part of my game that needs attention. Yeah. But this right. is not instead of contentment. It's, it's how do these things, how is this possible to coexist with being content? Yeah. Well, I think it comes back to being content with having done your best or my best. Like now, if I was here on the podcast and saying to you, I didn't do my best, then I might, this is where it gets really tricky with the, inner critic okay like without beating your now in this case i did feel like i did my best at least that day with those opponents i did my best i gave my effort the full effort and maybe that's something to talk about like did you give it your full effort and whatever it is and i can tell you i did there's no doubt like i didn't for a moment uh back down like in that final fight like 
I can't, this is like the, this guy is the strongest guy I've ever fought. Like he grabbed me and I was like, oh my God. Now I could have folded in that moment and said, oh my God, what did I get myself into? But no, I was like, okay, I'm going to fight. I'm going to do my best here, you know? Yeah. So anyway, that's a metaphor for, I'm not saying for you guys to go out and train jujitsu. <laughs> this is a metaphor for your work and your other areas of your life. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it's just to um, to be open to what's possible if you set a really high goal and you don't achieve it. Like it's a rich space. I think that's the takeaway for today. It can be a rich. Can be. Space. Can be. You you need a. By the way, we work with leaders on this. We work with boards like. If you're going to have a board that's going to shame and blame you for failure to achieve your campaign goal, then yeah, you you know, you're a smart person. We know that uh, you're going to set a goal that you're going to, because you, you know, but if we can get the board on board, so to speak, yes, uh, with this kind of thing, then you, you might go farther than you think you can. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good, Anything good else to add to that, thought. Margaret? No, I think that's a great place to leave it. All right. We'd love to. No, I'm going to say we would love to work with you if you are interested in PQ. And we yeah. would love to hear from you and help coach you through this powerful yeah. program. We'd love to even bring your whole team. We've, we, Margaret and I have coached uh, uh, groups. So have um, uh, Janice and Michelle and, you know, you can go very, very far with this methodology. So whether you want one-on-one -on -one coaching or whether you want to bring your team through this, we'd love to help you. We'll put a link in the show notes so you can learn more about positive intelligence. All right, so reach out to us. And until we hear from you, we'll talk to you next time. Okay, bye. Bye-bye.